told Rachel I thought we were stuck. <laughs> He's like, we're never going to get to lunch. I, I, one of my, I don't know if it's a shortcoming, maybe you feel this way and you think it's a strength, I don't, I don't know which way it is which. I like, I like order, I like there to be an itinerary, I kind of like to know where we're going, um, and, I, and maybe just be the way I grew up, uh, the way I was raised, and, and I, so much so that I, if I'm going to a conference, which I don't like to go to conferences, uh, because there's so many people there, and the people are are just everywhere and talking, and I, I'm an introvert. I like to be at home. I like to be quiet. I like to read, um, but conferences are tough for me. But one of the things when I feel a little anxiety about going to a conference to speak or to listen, I'll go online and look at the schedule, and it makes me feel better. I'm like, there's order. There's going to be an itinerary. I don't know if any of you grew up in a church, and this isn't, I don't think, specific to Churches of Christ, but we had, we had a hymn board at our church off to the side, and every day, every Sunday, they'd go up and they'd put the songs that they were going to sing, they'd slide the songs in, uh, and I liked that because you knew uh, when it was almost over. And there was a, a, another <laughs> My favorite songs, Van Ledbetter was my preacher growing up, and he uh, he was an artist, excellent artist. Um, is uh, was and so he would he would draw he would make his own flannel graphs, which was top notch technology when I was growing up. Uh, he would make he would draw his own flannel graphs and do a flannel graph sermon. He had this big flannel board, um, white. It wasn't plaid like a lumberjack, but it was big, and he had a pile of flannel graph things and he would talk and he would put stuff up there and me me and my family are just at least the kids my dad probably didn't do this he probably did would watch that stack it was like a meter for when the sermon was over it was, <laughs> it was like some sort of health gauge for the preacher let's it's just shrinking it's almost done you get nothing of the sort here we had hymn boards, we had, we had order, we had, uh, th- this is what's next, and this is what's next. <laughs> At one point, it was on a Sunday night, Van was uh, preaching, and the song leader on the front row fell asleep. Which in the Church of Christ, if anyone needs to know when the sermon's over, it's the song leader. And Van got to the end of the sermon and said, uh, you know, if anyone would like to, he was going to stay stand and sing, but he looked down and he saw... That someone, the guy that was going to be singing was sleeping. So he said, if anyone would like to come forward again, you know, like gave the invitation again louder. Like we couldn't just say, hey, Earl, wake up. Which is what we will do here if Johnny falls asleep during the sermon. We'll just say, hey, Johnny, I'm about to quit. Can you quit? So we we have we have an order. We like it. I I I like my order. There's a way they showed order in the uh, in the ancient times. They liked their order too. They liked to show you 
that they had all, all their things lined out and put together. I'll give you an example of this. It's in First uh, Chronicles 1, chapter 1. First Chronicles, if anyone ever tells you, you know, I love all... That, that, typically, they give these little prefaces before they talk about their favorite verse. Like, well, every verse really is my favorite. You are a liar, and you haven't read the whole thing. Because First Chronicles 1.1 says, Adam, Seth, Enosh. That's all it says. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, the sons of Noah, Shamham, Japheth, sons of Japheth, Gomer, yeah, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, Teras, the sons of Gomer. Oh, goodness, this one, we'll call him Paul, Rizpah, Togarmah. Togarma, the sons of Javan, they, they were having a competition. Do you see the competition? The harder the name, the more prestigious. Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittites, and the Rodonites, the son of Ham, was Cush, Egypt, Put, Canaan, thank you, Ham, the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sapta, Raama, Septaki, oh, I messed that one up. The sons of Raama, Sheba, Dada, okay, let's just skip this. What they're trying to show you, go to the next slide. Nimrod became a mighty warrior. Egypt, the father of the Lupidites, the Ammon, Lupidites, the Ludites, <laughs> Lupidites, Anamites, Leavites, Nap- Naphtalites. Like, they're trying to show you we came from a place. We have history. And our history is deep. And it's, and it's, and it, these are called, these are called genealogies. Uh, where they where they where they give you a list of who their ancestors were, um, and then they say, uh, "See, we're kind of important and we're kind of a big deal." I can trace my lineage all the way back, which this is this is a funny new trend for me. I, all all of you who are suspicious about. I don't want the government li- listening in on me, but I'm going to swab the inside of my cheek and mail it off to a company. They're going to tell me if I'm Swedish or not. <laughs> it's just funny to be worried about the one and not the other. Now they have. <laughs> They're cloning you right now. <laughs> my dad did that. And, uh, Turns out I'm a Viking. So who would have guessed? But we, we like to know our lineage. We like to go back and we say, I'm from a people. And, and a lot of times in these, these, weren't com, these weren't perfect, but they were complete. Do you see the difference? Like, sometimes they wouldn't say, like, everyone had that one Uncle Billy. You know? There was more of a goat than a human. Everyone had like the one person that they, that they don't want to really tell you about. So they just say, oh, yeah, you know, we have this guy. But we skip those people in our genealogies. We skip those people in our lineage. I'll show you. There's another one. There's a rhythm to these lineages. Yeah, this is. They didn't take a break and then come back to genealogies and chronicles. This is still going. Chapter 3, it's still happening. Like, all of chapter 2 is, is this still happening? And then chapter 3 is like hearing the same song on the radio a third time. It, Solomon's sons, let's talk about might. 
Rehoboam, Abijah, his son, Asa, his son, Jehoshaphat, his son, Jehoram, his son, Ahaziah, his son, Joash, his son, Amaziah, his son. This is like a rap. Okay, a rap is um, when people who have more rhythm than you lament. Excellent definition. The... So there is, uh, they, they, they want to show power. They don't show like the weaknesses. They, let me tell you, let me tell you about Josiah's son, jo, Johanan the firstborn, Jeho, jo, Jehoiakim the secondborn, Zedekiah the third, Shalom the fourth. These, these guys were powerful and strong and mighty. And then we get down later deep into the lineage deep into Abraham's David's even those who went into captivity and they tell about the line of Jesus and the line of Jesus is pretty interesting I don't know why that looks like that but he divides it up into uh Three sections. He says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. And so he gives he gives 14 names from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and then 14 um, from the exile to the Messiah. Uh, there's a lot of reason, theories about well, I say there's a lot. There's three theories about why um, Matthew did this, because he skips some people and he's, he's he wants. But if. If there's three sets of 14, that's six uh, sets of seven, and Jesus' life would be the fullness of completion of the sevens. Um, that matters to them. He's wanting to show that Jesus is the Messiah. But there's something else he's trying to show. And it's in these weird verses throughout Matthew chapter 1. If you look, verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Just out of the blue, let me tell you who this, who the mama was. Now, th- he doesn't do this with everyone. Just occasionally, we'll say, whose mother was Tamar. Per- Perez and Zerah were, were twins. He said Perez was father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Notice, we don't know who Ram's Father, we know, but we don't. It's not listed who Ram's father was. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And then later in verse six, it says David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. It doesn't even say Bathsheba; it says Uriah's wife. Although, if you go back and read that story in First Samuel chapter twelve, uh, it only says Bathsheba once. The rest of the time it refers to her as Uriah's wife. Um, It's odd that in the genealogy of Jesus, trying to show the Messiah, the Messiah is of this royal line, there's four women named. And it's even odder, not like the animal, it's more odd. It's even more confusing that he named the four women that he named. Okay. 
you might not have had a quick withdrawal um, when you heard the word Tamar. I'm going to tell you their stories pretty quickly. And I want you to know how odd it is. One, that they named women. Two, that these women were named. Tamar is found in Genesis. Tamar was married um, to one of Judah's kids. Right in the middle of the story of Joseph. Joseph is, uh, is being thrown in holes and running out of places naked. And then all of a sudden we take a break to tell you about Judah and Tamar. So one of Judah's sons married Tamar and then promptly died. And Judah said to the, the next oldest son, hey, um, get her pregnant. Which is something you would ask of your son in that time. Not at Thanksgiving, but like at that time. Said, carry on your brother's lineage. And he said, essentially, no. It's a crazier story than that. Go read it. I can't talk about it from the pulpit. But we're going to have to get more KFCs involved if we're going to talk about that story from the pulpit. So Tamar doesn't get pregnant, and he sends her off to live with uh, her father's people, and he says, I will, uh, I'll send you my youngest son when he gets of age. Just wait. Okay. So she goes home, nothing happens. Oldest son gets older, nothing happens. Judah comes and visits. She pretends to be a woman of the night, as they say in France. Yeah, just like that. She, she says, hey, I'm available to Judah. She dresses up, disguises herself, and she gets pregnant by her father-in-law and tricks him. Tamar, that's the story. Back to Joseph. It's an odd cutaway from the story of Joseph. And I guarantee you they didn't do that in the, the play at Branson. That wasn't intermission. So, Tamar. Rahab, you remember the story of Rahab? Rahab was a, uh, she wasn't pretending. She was an actual prostitute who lived in Jericho, ran a brothel. Um, And uh, if you see the perspective from her neighbor, she's also a traitor. Rahab is not. This beautiful story of redemption. She, she just said, yeah, I'll save my own self. And she didn't have to work all that hard to do it. She kept men in her home, which she did all the time. And then she tied a red ribbon around an old oak tree. Now around her door, she, and her, she wasn't destroyed. That's Rahab. Ruth is actually an upstanding character. She's an uncoverer of feet, whatever that means, but she's a foreigner. She's a Gentile. She's from another land. She doesn't belong. And she marries an older man and benefits from that. 
And then we all know Bathsheba. Bathsheba probably wasn't completely a foreigner, but she was born a foreigner. Um, she had opted in to the people of Israel. But she had an affair and it got her husband killed. Yeah, David was the king and that's probably mostly his fault. But all of these stories are, are odd. They're chaotic. They're filled with shame and, and brokenness. And if I were to put together a sermon series based on these women, you would say, how are they connected? If you hadn't read Matthew 1, they're all essential in the line of Jesus. But there were tons of women who were essential to the lines of Jesus. In the Greek, no, no version translates these genealogies, not accurately, but like just word for word. Because uh, in the Greek, it just, it'll just say, this dude gave birth to this dude. Um, like we can do that. But it'll say, this guy gave, this guy birthed this guy. And then when it wants to include a woman, it'll just say, ek tes Bathsheba. Out of Bathsheba. They don't even give them like all that much credit. These women are rarely mentioned in genealogies. And when they are, typically in other genealogies, it would just be women of prestige. But the four women we have mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus are Tamar, pretended to be a prostitute. Rahab, didn't have to pretend. Ruth, foreigner. Uriah's wife. Let me remind you who died because of her actions. I, I like order. I like things to be lined up. Things to be neat and clean. And I've yet to find a day like that. I've yet to find a day where I'm, I've got everything corralled and put in place. Uh, I've yet to find uh, a relationship that isn't messy. That isn't exactly the way I expected it to go. I've yet to find um, a situation that doesn't cause me to like think, well, okay, that's, that's, an une- that's uneasy ground. Several theories about why they go this route in the genealogy, but I just, I just, Jesus was born into this world from a line of people that are just chaotic into a place that is just chaotic. From people who are sinners and foreigners, traitors, thieves. Tamar took some things. This, this line isn't perfect. Every Mother's Day, I have to stand up here and for about 30 minutes, I have to pretend that all moms are perfect. And they're not. And that's okay. 
that all women somehow can... Man, women, be honest with me. Earmuffs, dudes. Um, no other preacher in the country said that sentence this morning. You got that only here. Earmuffs, dudes. Don't you just hate it when the preacher brings up Proverbs 31? That list of the ideal woman. You're not that. You're not. And all of you know, all of you who are smart enough to pay attention to self, know, I don't have that all together. And for a lot of you, the, the, thing, the only thing that list brings is shame. I don't live up to a standard. But the Messiah can come and save the world through you no matter who you are. The, 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 the Redeemer came through Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and, and, and not even, someone not even in Bathsheba. The wife of Uriah. You don't have it all together. Men, if there were a similar passage, which there isn't, except the whole of the Gospels, of the ideal man, we wouldn't live up to it either. We don't look like Jesus. We don't love like that. But God can do great things through you. You don't know my past, Benjamin. No, I don't. I don't. But there isn't, there isn't a thing in there that would surprise me. Are you broken? Yep. Okay, we're moving on. The toughest people to counsel are the people who fix figured that they've got it all together. They've made the Proverbs 31 label or the I'm like Jesus label. Jesus came to redeem us because we needed a good redeeming. Jesus came to forgive us because we needed forgiveness. Jesus came to save us because we needed salvation. And he's going to save the rest of the world through a bunch of people who need salvation. When you go and talk to people about Jesus, they may say, uh, who are you to tell me about that? I'm, I'm broken. I'm wrong. Incorrect. Inappropriate. Broken. I'm chaotic. My life is a mess. But Jesus saved me anyway. That's such a more powerful story than, well, my parents raised me properly in the church and they... Tell me about your chaos. Tell me about your brokenness. Tell me about your pain and your suffering and your sin. Tell me about what Jesus did for you. Because you can't tell me about what Jesus did for you without telling me about the parts he did it to. Tell, tell, tell me how the gospel comes out of your chaos. I, I hear about crazy things happening all the time. And I hear people say stuff like this. And I think this is very important to change your vocabulary here. God has his reasons. Okay. God, 
God has a plan for everything. Well, yeah, sort of. And what I mean is, when, when you say God has a reason for that, I would like you to start saying God can use that. Because God works in chaos. God works out of brokenness. God doesn't cause brokenness. I've used this analogy before, but it's helpful for me, so hopefully it's helpful for you if you haven't heard it or if you've forgotten it. My daughter, or Nolan, Nolan's probably more likely to do it now. Nolan spills his milk, knocks it over. Kids, I don't, have you, kids, it looks like they just don't see glasses of stuff. They just reach straight through them, just knock them clean over. Milk falls over, gets on the floor. Now get down with him. Let's say I'm having a good dad day. And I get down, get some paper towels, and I say, buddy, what we do when we get, when this happens, you get a paper towel, get several of them, um, put them down, let's get all that milk up, and he helps me, he gets down with me, and he helps me, and I help him through cleaning up the milk, and I go get a, a wet cloth, make sure it doesn't get sticky. We do that together. And then he remembered that years later. About that time, Dad was on his hands and knees with me and we were cleaning up the floor. And he thinks, I bet he spilt my milk on purpose. That's what we do to God. Just because God does some magnificent thing out of chaos, just because God uses brokenness and makes it beautiful, doesn't mean God's rooting for brokenness. God can use your brokenness. He's not rooting for it. God can use you. God can use your chaos. It's out of this weird lineage that there's Jesus. Like no one, no one would have walked by Rahab's door ten days before the Israelites showed up and been like, her, her line's going to save the world. There may be jokes about which line. My goodness, she, she wasn't an ideal candidate to, to bring Jesus to people. And guarantee you, you're not either. I'm not. But God constantly works out of chaos and brokenness. He constantly works out of, out of takes, takes broken things and makes them beautiful. Takes chaotic things and makes, make, it makes them saved. Jesus didn't need... Perfection to be perfect. And he didn't need a bunch of saints to save. He had a bunch of sinners. You're not all together. Neither am I. Jesus was. Praise God. We, we follow Jesus because he accepts us just as we are and makes something beautiful out of the chaos that we were in. He takes us from what we've caused and puts us into a place that, that He's created for us. When we're in relationship with Jesus, when we've been united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, when we proclaim that He is the King, that He is the Son of God, when we have faith that He can save us alone, 
That's taking your life from chaos, from brokenness, to salvation and beauty. Who doesn't need that? So there's, uh, you can repent of anything this morning. Anything. Try it. But I've got a couple of things that you might need to repent of. You need to repent of thinking you have to be perfect to be used. The shame that you are bringing on yourself is unnecessary and unhelpful for the gospel. And two, you need to start owning the brokenness that you do have so that you can uplift the Savior that you have. Throw it out there. Say, yeah, I've got, I've got some characters in my past. I was a character in my past and can still be. But then if, if you haven't been letting Jesus into your brokenness and, and let Jesus make something out of something that is broken, make something beautiful, then that needs to change too. And if you've never been joined into a relationship with Jesus, that needs to change too. If you need anything this morning, if you want to be baptized, if you need prayers, if you need anything at all, please come forward while we stand and while we sing.